apostle who wrote it, not me. Well, you better explain that. You better, you better explain that to the audience. Hadn't you? <laughs> Paul's just saying it's Paul the apostle that wrote it, not not Paul. Not Paul. Not, not, not Paul. I didn't write the book of Colossians. I've never been to Colossians, to Colossia, Colossae. Uh, last time we looked at Philemon and we noted that Philemon was written first because in this letter we see that his runaway slave is mentioned as somebody in the church already. And we noted then that in Acts 16 we saw that Paul had done a missionary journey in the area and had some connections to this place. After Paul had left, some super apostles had come in telling them, you are wrong in what you believe. And Paul will address that wrongness in the next chapter, in chapter 2. And he describes there that Messiah is better than the empty philosophies that you hold in verses 1 to 10. And it's better than Jewish pharisaical thinking, legalism we usually call this, in verses 11 to 16. And it's better than this mysticism that you're trying to bring in. Or that beating of the body, that asceticism that you think you're going to earn brownie points with what you do. Because none of that matters, Paul writes. And this is why in this opening statement that he gives us today... He is so emphatic on who Jesus is. Uh, he gives a small introduction in verses 1 to 2, then gratitude for the Colossians' faith that they did hold something. Then he has a prayer for them in verses 9 to 14, and I'm going to skip all of that, and you'll forgive me. But I want to start in verse 13, where he deals with the things concerning Jesus. And he says this, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all that the fullness dwells within him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him. I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile and mild, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond approach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, 
and of which I, Paul, was a minister. As I pondered what part to preach on, it just struck me that it would be incredibly silly on my side not to focus on who Jesus is. Because when you compile all of that together, what Paul just rattles on here, you come to see that he is not just a redeemer, he's not just a messiah, but he is God himself. He is king, redeemer. He's the image of the invisible God. And Paul goes on layer upon layer upon layer, trying to persuade the people of Colossians to stop this silliness. And so what I want to do today with you is focus on some of those statements that he made. And I think there are 10 of them. Uh, other people may have divided them up into more or less, but you'll forgive me. In verses 13 to 14, he talks about Jesus being the king, the redeemer of sins, the forgiver of sins. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. I only need to look at a newspaper or my diary to see how evil I am. So he did rescue me, and he opened that up. But there is a kingdom domain that he's talking about, transferring us from one to the other, to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so Jesus rescues us already from the domain of darkness, the realm of Satan, to which I belonged, to which they belonged. And just like the fallen angels, we were tempted and were under the authority of Satan, but now in Messiah Jesus, you've been transformed, taken from one kingdom to another, transferred to his kingship, conveyed, so that we should see this as a transferal of kingdom. The kingdom is not yet fully established. This is the foreshadowing of the kingdom in which we live. The kingdom will come, and the ultimate kingdom which he is talking about is the eternal order in which there is no more evil lying about. It's the kingdom of his son, the beloved son, God's dear son, whom he gave up as a redemption for us. With his death, with his blood on the cross, he purchased our sins. He paid the price. It is why we pray in his name and not in our own name. We sign letters in our own name, but we pray prayers in his name. Because he is the rightful one who owns us. We plead the blood of Jesus because we've been legally purchased by him but it is our redemption of sins. He set us free to serve him in a new kingdom. He gave us that forgiveness of sin. This morning, David alluded to Leviticus 16, to the day of atonement that the high priest in Hebrews 10 went in, and he did that once a year. And there were two goats, remember that? In Leviticus 16, one for the Lord and one for Azazel, one for the 
removal of sin. Jesus made atonement and he removed sins from us. It is that both aspect. He gave us that freedom. And so because of that, he rescued us. We've now been transformed. There is a redemption and a forgiveness of sin. In verse 15 then, he says he's the image of the invisible God. No man can see God. Yet lots of people saw God. How can both be true? We are created in his image after all. How can we be created in his image if he is invisible? Within the triune nature of God, it is true that God the Father is spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. But the Lord Jesus came to be. He stepped into humanity and we are created in his image. And so Adam and Eve were able to walk and talk with him in Genesis 2 and 3. It was Abraham who had a meal with him, a covenant meal in Genesis 18. It was Jacob who wrestled. And initially, he says in Genesis 32, 24, I've wrestled with a man. I've wrestled with an angel. And then he declares, and I've seen God. I've seen his face. So clearly people did see it. There were the 74 elders. There were the 70 elders and Moses and Aaron and Nadav and Afihu who all went up the mountain and had a meal with God in Exodus 24. In Isaiah we have that description. In Isaiah chapter 6 it's not just an attribute that is being given but his glory is being described. Amos in chapter 9 just says, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. Lots of people saw him. Ezekiel gives descriptions in chapter 1, chapter 10, chapter 40, chapter 43. But they had never seen the fullness thereof. Even Daniel, who describes his eyes, his hair, his body, he too only saw glimpses. It is not until the New Testament, till Jesus steps into humanity, that we saw his glory. And that's what Paul is writing here. We see God in the Old Testament from time to time, and there are glimpses. But now he has appeared to us. He is the one who came. He stepped into humanity, and we still bear a part of that image. The word image is a copy or a likeness. We are like him. We lost some of that and that's why now being in Christ we've been transferred back to him. Paul is writing that it is about his deity that is being revealed. It's the God-man who came together. He is the word in John 1. It's not an abstract philosophical argument, but it's the incarnation, and that's what Paul is addressing. And he's the firstborn of all creation. Uh, the Greek word is protokos, the Hebrew would be bahor. It's the concept of the firstborn. A protokos has that sense of that he is the first of. In other words, he has authority over. 
Bechor means more the firstborn son in that he has the inheritance right. Firstborn and birthright. It's not always to the first person, but here it is. Because he is God's one and only son. There is no one else. And in ancient times, the firstborn would be the one that rules over the family. And Paul gives us that description later. And he's also a priest in the order of Melchizedek. That is not described here. The firstborn also receives a double portion according to Deuteronomy 21. And I like that idea, a double portion. Because Jesus doesn't just redeem Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. Even if we take it beyond that and just take it from this text, he gets an inheritance from the heavens and the earth. And it goes beyond what we can imagine. Jesus is described as God's firstborn in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. And there the angels are commanded to worship him. How much more should we? In Psalm 89, verse 27, I will also make him my firstborn. And then it immediately clarifies what that means. The highest of the kings of the earth. In other words, Lord of lords and king of kings. Protocols then meaning priority, as in the one who has priority in all things, in inheritance and in leadership. He is the one that we should follow. The rabbis use that term, Bachor, which carries that same meaning, saying that God is the firstborn of the world. And that is what Paul is driving to us. He's saying Jesus is the firstborn over all heaven and earth. The things that belong to God are now in Jesus. And in verse 16, he says, For all things were created, for by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth. Does that leave anything? Can you think of any other place beside the heavens and the earth? Visible and invisible. Is there anything left then? And the answer is no. He has complete authority over all things. And therefore, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. No. All of those things that describe angelic authorities. All these things were created through him and for him. In other words, all things belong to him. There was nothing that doesn't belong to him, especially the angelic realm. And he, he writes that especially in these terms because these super apostles had come in and started saying, oh, but angels are important. Uh, I'm, I'm not denying they're not important, but comparable to Jesus, they're not important. They are just created beings. That's what Paul is driving to. A.T. Robinson, a Greek scholar, comments on all things were created and says, 
The permanency of the universe rests then on Christ far more than on graffiti. It is a Christ-centered universe. All things work together and hold together because they come from him. And in verse 17 then he's described as before all things he is. If you're a created thing, whether a person, angel, whether things in heaven or on earth, invisible or visible, then you are just part of creation. But he is before creation. But that would limit him to be God. He is the invisible God. It is so clear. And I think Paul is leaning on verses in the Old Testament, though he doesn't bring it out, but verses like Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given. And what are the names? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. These are divine names. The Hebrew Peleoets, Wonderful Counselor, the word Pele can only be used of God. He's the only wonderful one. You and I are wonderful too in English, but in biblical Hebrew we're not wonderful. Only he is. El Kibor, the mighty God. Gordon, are you mighty? Well, we could say that. But are you the mighty God? No, we wouldn't say that. Afiad, the father of eternity or the eternal father. He's identified as being the father of time. Clearly it doesn't apply to anybody else but the deity himself, to God himself. And the Sar Shalom, the prince of peace. A term that could go either way in our thinking, but in Isaiah those terms are only used of God himself. And in light of all of them, He is describing God himself. And so he clearly is indicating Jesus is not just part of this creation. He was before all things. It is he who will make the remnant of Israel return, the remnant that turns back to the mighty God. He is the one who was before time. Uh, Verses like Micah 5, verse 2. Uh, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little amongst the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth to be a ruler in Israel. That kingdom concept comes back. And his going forth is from long ago, or from before time, from the days of eternity, before sunrise, before time existed, is what he is indicating. And so... Those are just some verses that Paul could have thrown in there saying he is before creation. He's the one who holds all things together in verse 17. And in him all things hold together and by all things subsist through him. Not only is he the creator, he's the one who holds all things and allows all things to continue as the book of Hebrews indicate, Hebrews, chap, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, upholding all things by the word of his power. It's a description that is being given to us to show that 
if we take Jesus out of our equation, if we could remove him from this universe, we wouldn't be anymore. Our existence would cease. All things are being upheld by his power. He bears all things, both above and below. He carries all his creation. He bears his world. He bears all worlds by his power. That's an expression from one of the rabbinical writings, but it shows you that they saw God in that same way, and that's what Paul is using here. It's that same language, therefore indicating that Jesus is the one true God. He then is described in verse 18 as the head of the body. It's interesting to me, he's not called the king of the body, but the head of the body. It makes some sense. You and I both know that the body, Paul is making a reference to the physical. And so Jesus is the head, and so if he goes one way, we follow. It's as simple as that. There are many churches and denominations that seem to have a different thinking and a different head. But it's, that's a different sermon for a different day. But he's not called king because we're not a kingdom. We're part of a kingdom, the kingdom of his son. But the fullness of the kingdom is still to come. He will be in the future king. But what does that mean, that he's the head? If he's the head, we should learn what he thinks. We should have the mind of Christ in us. And that means submitting to the will of God rather than anything else. Putting all things in subjection under his, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him which fills all in all, Ephesians 1, verses 22 to 23. And so we need to make sure that what we do is in line with what he has revealed. That's not always easy and always comfortable because it means that we've got to re-examine ourselves continually as a body. The body of Messiah, the church, started off and it was great. There were only 12 of them and they did pretty well. But even they were dysfunctional. And when you read through church history, it is shocking how far we've sometimes walked away from what God has revealed. And so we have reformations to come back, and sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. But we need to continually think, what is God revealing to us so that we may have a fellowship in line with what the head is doing and thinking. He's the firstborn of the dead. Was he the firstborn of the dead? Weren't there people raised back to life in the Old Testament? Oh, of course there were. But these died again. It's a rare exception that you die again. Normally you want to be born again. But these people were raised back to temporary life. People in the Old Testament, like the prophet Elijah and Elisha, who raised people up from the dead. In 1 Kings 17, Elisha prays over the body of a young man. 
Elisha raised the son of the widow of Shunem. A dead man was raised when he just touched the bones of Elisha in 2 Kings 13. Even in the New Testament, we see people being raised back to temporary life. The only son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7 and Jairus' daughter in Luke 8. Even Lazarus came back to life and it was a temporary resurrection. Even the saints that rose with Jesus at his resurrection, Matthew 27, verses 52-54, they were raised back to temporary life. Jesus is the first of the permanent resurrection. He will not die again. Normally it is given over to die once. There are these few exceptions here. But for us, we know that this is a different resurrection. He's raised to permanent glory. Without him, there would be no other resurrections. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 and onwards talk about that. And so he is the supremacy. He is the protocos. He has supremacy over the realm of the living and the dead. In Revelation, John talks about it in the same way, Revelation 1.5, as the firstborn from the dead and now the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he again links that to kingship. He is the firstborn of the dead for permanent resurrection. He has the preeminence being the king, redeemer, the Messiah, the creator of all, the head of the church, not this building but us and as such we need to be interested in what he is doing within the world and in verse 19 it says that he manifests the fullness of God there are many verses that could fit this and and we would do well to read through this what does that exactly mean the fullness of God dwells within him. He repeats this in chapter 2, verse 9. It's difficult to really know for sure what Paul had in mind. But in light of what he's saying, I think he's thinking of verses like Exodus 34, verse 6, where the Lord speaks to Moses and says, let me proclaim my name. And he says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and in truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgressions and sin. There are many other verses like this in both Old and New Testament. John summarizes this in John 1.14. For we have beheld his glory. God doesn't share his glory with other parts of creation. As such, in him dwells the fullness of God. And so he is both God and man. And this was one of the heresies that was coming into the church, saying, uh, well, yes, Jesus is a God, or a part of God dwells in him. But Paul makes sure that they understand that the fullness of God dwells within him. He is full of grace and truth, 
wisdom and power and love. And he is the Holy One who was before all time. And because of who he is, he can reconcile all things, verses 20 to 22, to himself. How does he do that? Through the cross, through the blood of the through the blood that he shed on the cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And so he repeats this, and he makes sure that those who started to believe in worshiping angels, that they didn't stray from the cross, that he would bring them back. The reconciliation is through his fleshly body. Because other people had come in and said, yeah, Jesus is God, but he's not Man, It was just a God who popped into Mary and came out and he was always God. But he's showing us here that it's both the God-man who came. God's ultimate purpose was to reconcile all things through the cross. He made it possible because of his death. All things are reconciled. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he talks about that even more. But not just on earth, not just for you and me, but also in the heavens, he reconciled all things. We think of reconciliation when we are at peace with one another, but peace in the Old Testament sometimes came by treaty and sometimes because they were conquered. And so with us, there is a covenant that he made with Israel, but extended to us as a church, and that's the new covenant. But things in heaven, well, he didn't die for the angels, but they are reconciled by his power. They will come into subjection of his will, not necessarily because they want to, but because they will have to. For he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Last time I was here, David mentions that I should sing more hymns. I didn't grow up with Christian hymns, so I, I don't relate very well to them. I like some of the wording but it's not something that I'm comfortable with. And so I took out my hymn book. You'll forgive me, and I read the Adon Olam, the, the hymn that they sing almost weekly in the synagogue. Adon Olam Hashem Alach, Beterem Kol Fra. Lord of eternity, who reigned before all creation was drawn, and when it was finished according to his will, then the king, his name, will still be proclaimed. You'll forgive me, I'll, I'll abbreviate the whole, but this is what Paul is essentially saying to us, isn't it? Jesus is Lord of eternity. He reigned and he will reign again because all of creation was done by him. He drew it up and he finished it according to his will. He was king and is king and his name, his character, that fullness that is being described was in him and is still in him and is what we ought to proclaim. The Apostle Paul urges the Colossians to stay in the faith 
of Messiah as he has proclaimed. This Jesus, the King, the Redeemer, the image of the invisible God, the Creator, the one who was before time, the firstborn of creation and the firstborn of the dead, so that they may be established firmly and steadfast and not move away on their own sanctified imaginations, but have the hope of the gospel which he proclaimed in them. Let me summarize this and restate them. He was addressed as, Jesus was addressed as the king, the redeemer, the forgiver of sins, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the creator of all things, that he was before all time. He's the one who holds all things together, the head of the body, the church, the firstborn of the dead, and the manifestation of the fullness of God who reconciled all things to himself. Friends, if we see Jesus in that light, do we need to worry about keeping certain days? No. Do we need to worry about praying in the right direction? Knowing which angels are up and down? Being legalistic about observances, about fast days and feast days? or about beating the body. If we understand who Jesus is, all of these things fail and fall into the background. And that's what he will address next for us, and that's what we'll look at next time. But for today, we just want to rejoice in who Jesus is.